Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. Locust and Chambers is where we are at this week on Urban Spelunking at the Enderis Playfield. Yeah. So this is a 10-acre, not a park. Nope. It's a playfield. It is a playfield. It is bounded by Chambers on the north, 72nd Street on the west, Locust on the south, and then the alley of 70th Street. So we're going to talk a little bit about that distinction between a park and a playfield in a sec, but um, let's just talk about the what they have there. I mean, it's a really... Well, they have everything there. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's, not a, it's not a huge park by any... I mean, 10 acres is not that huge, but there's two tennis courts. There's horseshoe pits. Cool. Don't get a ton of use, but they're there. Um, there's volleyball pits. There's a, a little running track. There's a playground that was recently redone. Last year was redone. Um, then there's a swing set by the... By the track, there's a big open grassy pitch, which is nice. And then there's a, a pathway that goes around that. There's a field house there where that's where people vote. Oh, okay. Uh, commonly. So all the great park amenities. Yeah, right baseball there. diamond there. So what is the difference between a, a park and a playfield? Well, playfield is a park, but it's uh, it's was sort of the distinction was that it had to be it was bigger than a playground. And it was aimed at kids sort of 15 and up. Okay. Um, so that it, even though some of them did have like tot lots and playgrounds, um, they were really aimed for a, a to a slightly older kid. So that's why you have like a baseball diamond and tennis courts and that sort of stuff more than you have like sandboxes and things like that. Sure. But a big distinction too is is who runs it. Yeah. There, there are 52 of these play fields in the city and they are run by MPS's rec department. So to the average person just driving by, you probably wouldn't know that distinction that it's a MPS property versus a Department of Recreation. Right, yeah. A telltale sign, I guess, is always that uh, distinctive wooden county parks sign. Okay. You know, sort of delineates. Yeah. You know, is sort of a, this is a county park thing. Uh, about a mile west of Endress Park, there's Cooper Park, which is uh, maybe about a little smaller, maybe. That's a county park. Okay. But again, you see that distinctive sign on each of the four corners. Enderis Park was built during this time when when there was this belief that every child in Milwaukee should have a, a park that they could just walk to. Yeah, you know, and that was the belief that that Milwaukee was really built on this access to to parks. In fact, they were called kind of the, the green necklace of Milwaukee, right? Yeah, and it was I mean it was the progressive era when when people really spoke of the importance of of exercise, of health, of being outside, and you know the it's it's sort of starts in Milwaukee at the schools where a lot of the schools were built into neighborhoods and had no playgrounds. So they started to buy up homes near uh, around school buildings and tear them down to be able to create the big playgrounds that we see in a lot of schools now. And so this kind of grew out of that and the programming at school playgrounds, um, which was super common in Milwaukee in the thirties, forties, fifties, I think even into the sixties where you have organized basketball leagues, organized baseball leagues, like all kinds of, uh, all summer long recreation programs that were actually led by older kids tended to be college student age, you know, who were at home for the summer yeah. making some money to pay for school. Um, the play fields had that too, you know, and if you, if you go back and look in the record, there's all kinds of different kinds of leagues and organized, just all kinds of organized programming for kids. It wasn't just, they weren't just sort of left to their own devices to you know, whatever they would do then. <laughs> and I think when you go to, when you go to parks around the city, it, it, it does, it definitely feels like these were all made during this kind of bygone era, you know, yeah. when, when people cared about 
getting out there and, and when parks were seemingly more important to people. And I think we're seeing kind of a resurgence with programming in the parks. You know, I think of like the Urban Ecology Center. Sure. And, you know, just all these neighborhood groups, friends groups that are caring for the parks now, which is great to see. But it's definitely it's part of Milwaukee's identity is, it really is our is. park history. Have you seen the Marcus DeBeck Playground? Have you been there? No, I haven't. It's on 55th and Wright. Okay. That's a park that got fixed up a couple of years ago. It's the site of the old Wright Street School. Um, so it's a city lot. That building's long gone now. But um, it was just sort of this rundown playground. And then um, it was named for a boy who got shot there. Mm. Um and then, but it was just sort of run down. There were some hoops and some broken concrete. And a few years ago, they fixed it up, and it's beautiful now. It's got like a zip line. Oh, it's cool! Completely repaved. It's got some landscaping. It just it looks incredible, and it looks like it should be the blueprint for what these kinds of parks should be all through the city, like in every neighborhood. Yeah, I imagine there's. I, I I've not seen another park that looks that cool in the city. They it might be there might be one, but I haven't seen it. Well, we're going to talk more about Enderus Playfield, and including uh, the the person. The, the Enderus is a Dorothy. person, Dorothy Enderus. Was, yeah. So we're going to tell you more about her, plus a little bit more about how MPS planned this uh, this park well before there was even a neighborhood, and how yeah. that was kind of part of their whole model. That's coming up next on the second half of Urban Spelunking. Nonprofit Radio Milwaukee is brought to you by you. A membership contribution is your personal commitment to music and to Milwaukee. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org to check out our donor benefits and the thank you gifts you can get to show off your 88.9 pride. And we are back talking about Enderus Playfield. This is at Locust and Chambers, and it's uh, a really interesting part of Milwaukee's history. We talked about the you know the distinction between a playfield and a park, but I'm, I'm just curious about the person who it's named after. Dorothy Enderus. Yeah, who she, is Dorothy? Um, she uh, was a Milwaukee woman who was a teacher briefly, and then... Um, and a librarian, and then got hired to run the rec department, the recreation department for MPS, and she ultimately became uh, an assistant superintendent. She rose pretty high in the in the district, and she worked there for decades. You know, it's it's interesting how long she was there. Was it unusual at this time for um, you know a woman to be in this position? I think it was. I mean, if you look through the list of of um, superintendents and assistant superintendents, I think. She's, I'm not sure she's entirely alone, but if she's not entirely alone, she's pretty darn close to being alone. Okay. So she was, she was a leader in MPS and, um, why did the park get named after her? Uh, well, the park got named after her in her honor while she was still alive upon her retirement, um, as just sort of an honor to her. Um, and then the neighborhood ended up sort of taking on the name of the park. So the neighborhood is out now also called Endress Park. Although when it was first developed, it was called Gale Crest Park. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting that the park was developed before there was even a neighborhood there. Yeah. Originally, that land was part of Tosa. And then in the 20s, it was annexed by the city. And um, around that point, it starts to get uh, the city platted it, like drew maps of where the streets would be. And mm-hmm. then they actually started to put in sewers and lay the the streets but loads of them had no houses on them or some, you know, houses started to pop up because in the 20s and 30s, there were these really sort of big, if you go into the neighborhood now, the the biggest houses are the ones that are from the 20s and the 30s. And they tended to be like upper management people. Okay. Like one of my neighbors lives in a house that was uh, sort of higher up from Johnson Controls. So this house from the 20s has all these really quirky and interesting thermostats <laughs> and oh, yeah, because they worked at Johnson Controls. Um, but that's what happened. You get that kind of, that's your resident at that point. Um but then, so they're building in 
to the 30s, but then it stops for for the war. So then nothing okay. really gets built. So there's, there's this time when, when you see pictures of the neighborhood, there'll be like an entire block of houses. But then the next block over, there's like two sort of random scattered houses. Um, oh, interesting. And then it doesn't really fill it, finish filling in until after the war. Like my uh, block is a pretty small one. We have a couple from the 20s and 30s, a bunch from the 40s, and then one from like the 50s that was like infill later. But that's sort of how the neighborhood is. And so, so it's it's really an interesting mix of different kinds of houses because it sort of fills, it sort of runs this uh, two-decade, three-decade uh, era of home building. Cool. And this was kind of, uh, this was part of MPS's MO at the time. They were They were building these parks in areas that weren't, Neighborhoods just yet. It was kind yeah, of a, right. a planning thing, a foresight. Right. So the city then like was buying these properties um, and they bought the land for the park um, long before most of the neighborhood was there. But they could see that the they could see it coming. You know, the the, the platting of the streets was happening. They knew there was going to be this development. So there's even notes in, you know, in some of the parks reports from back then Um saying, well, we should buy this land because, you know, we know there's going to be people here. We should buy it while it's still relatively cheap because once you start selling off all the lots, you know, the, the prices are going to start to yeah. rise. So they actually, they went to neighborhoods and bought up these plots for these play fields before sometimes there even were neighborhoods just kind of knowing that it was coming, seeing the trends. And that's common if you look at the five-year building plans that the district used to do um, all the time. They were always buying up Lots of land in neighborhoods where, where there weren't really neighborhoods yet, but there was the sort of the germ of neighborhoods starting so that they would be able to build buildings when they needed them on these on these pieces of land at a cheaper rate for the property sure. than they would have otherwise. Yeah, that's interesting. And you mentioned this earlier in the in the podcast, but the this this program that the parks were built under, WPA. Yeah. Tell us more about that. So this was a federal government program that uh, that started during the Depression that aimed to sort of put people to work. It was basically in infrastructure projects generally that uh, in communities all through the United States where they hired uh, they hired architects to draw them, they hired, you know, contractors to build them, laborers to, to do the work, um, they hired artists to paint murals on things, like, you know, all lots of, uh, they did just countless projects. And, you know, there's websites that even show, like, the different projects in different places and, um the result was we got some of these really beautiful uh, structures and buildings and artworks that we wouldn't have otherwise had because the the government was trying to put people to work. So this is kind of a special edition Urban Spelunking that you did. Uh, looking at the column, uh, there's all these just really cool plans that you dug up through MPS, and, and there's a lot more history and photos in this in this uh, edition of Urban Spelunking. So you definitely want to check that out online. But I, I was curious, Bobby, like, what got you so excited about this <laughs> one particular play field, this was, play field? This was me going down the rabbit hole because uh, this is my neighborhood play field. I'm one of those people who vote in that building. Okay. Um, and I spend a lot of time there, and I've spent a lot of time there, especially once we had kids, you know, pushing that swing a lot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. A lot of swing pushing. A lot pushing. of swing pushing. Um, but it's also a very active park, so we go there for all kinds of things. On July 4th, they have a big event, like the neighborhood parades to the park. The fire engines come and spray water on people. And there's a there's a farmer's market every Sunday morning. There's free concerts on Thursday nights in summer. So there's tons of stuff, tons of, tons of programming done by the neighborhood organization in that park. So there's a lot of reason to go there. Yeah. Um, and... What I love about it, other than the fact that it's all this great stuff not far from my house, is 
that they have all this beautiful, these beautiful structures built by the Works Progress Administration, the WPA, uh, during the 1930s, made out of local stone that was quarried uh, not far away at the Hartung Quarry. Uh, so there's really beautiful things. And I was there one day and uh, there's a sort of a utility building there and the door was open and I, you know, it's always doors open for me, as we said last week. <laughs> right. Um, I stuck my head in and this this thing that I thought was just like a shed to like park the ride and mower um, built in the 30s, of course, uh, had like a fireplace in it and stuff. And I thought, why? Why? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that it was an MPS building, I went to the MPS facilities and maintenance archive where I spend a lot of time. And um, they had all these incredible plans. And people can see them now because they're in the story, but which was beautifully designed by Jason McDowell, I should say, on Milwaukee. Um, but you can see them, and these these plans are like artworks in themselves, right? Yeah, I mean, just looking at all these original blueprints and plans, um, they look like like computer generated. You yeah, know? But they're and, 1930s. They're all hand drawn, and they're they're really incredible. Even like the even the lettering that these guys did on these plans is will make you jealous. Just right, <laughs> and they're so detailed. I mean, every little like like a detail on top of a column. You know, every little finial, every little corner are I all about. Every aspect, right? I mean, it wasn't just like, yeah, let's put up a fence. Right. You know, let's see what we can get over at Menards. They designed and drew this fence, and they the stone was cut to to match the drawings. And, and the best thing is, as you can see from the story, there are some spots where you can see the drawings, and then next to it, I have a photo taken, you know, in, in recent months. All of that stuff is still there. You know, all of that stonework is still there. There's just these great, like, gazebos and... Um, and walls and benches that look almost, they're stone, but they almost look like couches the way they sort of wrap around mm-hmm. you. Just all that stuff is still there and you sort of can't fail to go there and just be wowed by it. Yeah, it's so cool how the how the plans match the pictures. They really do. And they still they do. They really do. It was well, not happenstance that they turned out the way they did. Well, there's so much to explore on this extended edition of Urban Spelunking, uh, a really interactive piece on onmilwaukee.com. You can see all these original plans. You can see uh, much more about the history of this park and, and see these really cool side-by-side comparisons from plan to present day. You can check that out right here at radiomilwaukee.org. It's on Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo. Podcasts on 88.9 are produced by Tyrone Miller. Handcrafted sonic inspiration comes from the License Lab with support from your membership and from onmilwaukee.com. Subscribe to this podcast and all of our podcasts at radiomilwaukee.org slash podcasts on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Bobby, thank you. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Nate.